Dear listeners, welcome back. It's March and the sun has sort of returned to Seattle. But first off, let me just apologize for my voice. It rained for, I think the final number was like 32 days straight here. And one of my best friends was having a birthday party in Los Angeles. So I was like, um, yes, get me out of this rain. And that was fun and all, but I seem to have brought the plague back. I'm no longer feverish, at least. Just loaded up on cough medicine and Sudafed, ready to talk to you about Oscar Wilde. For regular listeners, I'm doing something a little bit different this month. I did a survey back in November or December asking listeners about what subjects they want on the podcast. And it turns out there are a lot of historical listeners in Ireland, and they asked for more Irish subjects. My family, on my mom's side, is from Ireland, so I was very excited about this prospect because I grew up hearing the tales of the old country and whatnot. March is Irish American Heritage Month, I'm guessing because of St. Patrick's Day, so here we are. We're kicking things off today with Oscar Wilde, but tune in for the next three Mondays for episodes on Margaret Sanger, Michael Collins, and Dr. James Barry. All super fascinating and super controversial. It's going to be fun. All right, so let's get down to the man, the myth, the legend, Oscar Wilde. Oscar's parents were Sir William Wilde and Lady Jane Wilde. Sir William was a prominent doctor in Dublin. He was an ear and eye surgeon and also did work for the Irish census and for these contributions was knighted. Interestingly, despite his more heavily science background, William also wrote books on Irish folklore and archaeology. Before he was married to Lady Jane, however, he had three children with two other women. Those children were sent to live with his relatives and didn't grow up with Oscar's family. Okay, that was his dad. His mom, though, she sounds weird and delightful. Lady Jane was a diehard Irish nationalist, and she wrote poetry for the revolutionary young Irelanders under the pen name Speranza. Lady Jane had very distant Italian heritage. And I don't know if I've mentioned this or not yet, but in addition to Irish, my family is also Italian. I'm basically the movie slash book Brooklyn, so that was a delightful detail to me. Anyway, she had a drop of Italian blood in her and ran with that, often going by the name Francesca and trying to convince people she was of Italian nobility. She also absolutely longed for a daughter, but alas, her first son Willie was born in 1852. Willie was followed two years later by Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wilde, literally born inside what is now the Oscar Wilde Center at Trinity College. Back in the day, it wasn't unusual for all children, boys and girls, to wear dresses. But because Lady Jane was so disappointed she hadn't given birth to a girl, she kind of took it to the extreme with Oscar and dressed him in some frilly and effeminate dresses, which I absolutely love stories like this where you can draw a direct line from someone's upbringing to how they turned out as adults. Three years later, their family was complete upon the birth of the longed-for daughter Isola. Oscar had a happy childhood, and his parents were kind of known for being eccentrics and throwing lavish dinner parties that had a mix of attendees from both the medical and cultural communities. One guest I'd like to call out was Sheridan Le Fanu, who was the guy who wrote Carmilla, which was the first vampire novel, a lesbian vampire novel at that, and predated Dracula by 26 years. And Dracula is coming up again in this episode, so you just sit tight. But then the first tragedy of his life would strike in 1866 when nine-year-old Isola died of meningitis. Oscar was devastated and carried a lock of Isola's hair with him wherever he went for the rest of his life. He also wrote a heartbreaking poem, Resquiat, for Isola. Tread lightly, she is near, under the snow, 
Speak gently, she can hear, the daisies grow. Oscar threw himself into his studies and earned scholarships to both Trinity College and to Oxford. And this, dear listeners, is where Oscar became wild. During these years, he refined his flamboyant style and became known for his wit. He grew his hair out long and dressed in colorful clothing, complete with knee-high breeches and capes. Remember, this is the late 1800s when Queen Victoria was all black everything, so he stood out. Speaking of Queen Victoria, Oscar Wilde once remarked that Queen Victoria was one of three women he would marry with pleasure, the other two being Sarah Bernhardt and Lily Langtree, the mistress of Victoria's son Edward, aka the Prince of Wales. During his years at university, Oscar became a student of aestheticism. He passionately believed that all art should be done for art's sake. He wanted to live a life of art. He also wanted fame, and fame was on its way. He would decorate his dorm room with peacock feathers and blue china, once remarking, I find it harder and harder every day to live up to my blue china. So basically, Oscar Wilde was that hipster guy in your MFA program. And I'm not knocking it. I love it. Upon graduation, he won a major prize for his poem, Ravenna, and that kind of established him in social and literary circles in London, where he promptly moved. His first season out of college, he courted a woman named Florence Balcombe, who was his childhood sweetheart. She was beautiful and extremely witty, but she rejected Oscar and married a man you may have heard of, another Irishman named Bram Stoker. And yes, I managed to get two references to Dracula into an episode about Oscar Wilde. Praise. Oscar's father died, and the inheritance he received was enough to set him up in London and fund travels to both Paris and America. After he had published a fairly well-received volume simply titled Poems, and due to his flamboyant dress and his reputation as a witty, sparkling conversationalist, he embarked on a tour of America giving lectures on aesthetics. It was supposed to be three months, but he ended up roaming America for almost a full year, with 140 sold-out shows over 260 days. Upon arriving at Customs in New York, he is quoted as saying, I have nothing to declare save for my genius. So his confidence was good. He drank wine with Walt Whitman and outdrank a group of miners. You know, Wildean antics. But when he got back from America, he was ready to settle down. While visiting his hometown, Dublin, he ran into Constance Lloyd, a woman he had met a few years prior in London and who happened to be pretty wealthy with a generous allowance of 250 pounds a month. Like his parents before him, Oscar had pretty extravagant taste. Remember the blue china? Anyway, they were constantly renovating their house and spending on expensive clothes. They had two sons and generally seemed to be a happy family. Then around 1886, everything changed. Something snapped in Oscar during his wife's second pregnancy. He was just not into her anymore. 17-year-old Robert Ross, who was openly gay, entered Wilde's life. He was a fan of Wilde's poetry and was on a mission to seduce Wilde because while it's not abundantly clear if Wilde knew that he was gay before this, he did have lots of homosexual themes in his writing up until that point. Ross moved in with the family and would stay with Constance and the children whenever Oscar traveled to keep them company. And when Oscar was home, the two carried on an affair under his own roof. It's not known if Constance knew. There's circumstantial evidence that Wilde may have had affairs with men before this, but it's generally accepted that Robert Ross was the guy who introduced him to Victorian underground gay culture. Homosexuality at this time was a crime that could get you booted off to prison, castrated, or killed. But the freedom of being able to finally express his true self made it worth it for Oscar. One of his more famous quotes was, The only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. I can resist everything but temptation. 
and thus started the period of intense creativity in which all his most famous and popular works were written. It started with his editorship of the Ladies' World magazine, where Oscar preached for equal rights for women and championed the cause of dress reform, advocating for the divided skirt, which was a precursor to pants for women. Constance helped in his cause in war and popularized the divided skirt. On fashion, Oscar wrote, A fashion is merely a form of ugliness, so absolutely unbearable that we have to alter it every six months. Next came his collection of fairy stories, The Happy Prince and Other Tales, followed by his only novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray. I'm pretty sure everyone knew he was gay at this point because Dorian Gray was widely condemned for its homoerotic undertones, to which he said, There is no such thing as a moral or an immoral book. Books are well-written or badly written. Oscar Wilde also had kind of an Andy Warhol thing about him, too. He enjoyed being famous and said, there's only one thing in life worse than being talked about, and that is not being talked about. In 1891, Oscar met the love of his life and his downfall, Lord Alfred Douglas, who went by the nickname Bosey. Bosey was about 22 years old, a student at Oxford, rich and beautiful. He was spoiled and tempestuous, and Oscar was absolutely smitten. The next few years were his most productive and creative, as these were the years when he wrote all of his famous plays, Lady Windermere's Fan, A Woman of No Importance, An Ideal Husband, and The Importance of Being Earnest. Bosey introduced Oscar to the world of teenage boy prostitutes, and this was where Oscar got reckless. He routinely would pay boys aged about 15 to 17 for sex. By our standards today, 100% pedophilia. At the time, the age of consent was 13 years old so it's pretty murky on how he or his friends viewed it. Remember how I said Bosey was a lord? Well, that made his dad a Marquess, so a fairly powerful, well-connected man, and Bosey's dad was furious to find out about their relationship. In 1895, while the importance of being earnest, largely considered Wilde's masterpiece, was still in theaters, Oscar received a note as he took his breakfast at the club. Written on the Marquess of Queensbury's calling card was the message, For Oscar Wilde, posing as a sodomite. Oscar was absolutely enraged and would not suffer this insult. Against the advice of his friends, instead of ignoring this taunt, Oscar was the one who sued the Marquis for libel. But during the course of the trial, there was so much evidence that Oscar was gay that Oscar ended up getting arrested for gross indecency and sentenced to two years hard labor, which I had no idea that's how it went down. I always just assumed he was caught in the act. Constance took the boys and changed their name to Holland. She would send Oscar three pounds a week until her death in 1898. Prison was brutal for him. Before he even shipped off to prison, he had to undergo public humiliation, which for him was worse than his actual prison sentence. They cut his hair and kept him in a cell sometimes up to 23 hours a day. A lot of his sentence, he had to simply walk on a treadmill. The poor diet and conditions left him in bad health for the rest of his life. When he got out in 1897, he immediately set sail for France. He never again would return to the UK. For the next three years, he wandered Europe using the name Sebastian Melmoth and begged money and lodging from friends. He and Bosey reunited and lived together in Naples, Italy before their families found out and threatened to cut them off. Ironically, the character of Ernest in his masterpiece, The Importance of Being Ernest, died in a cheap Paris hotel with only the manager by his side. And that was how Oscar himself died on November 30th, 1900, at the age of 46, from meningitis. In 2017, Oscar Wilde and more than 50,000 other men who had been convicted of homosexuality were pardoned by the British government. 2017. He seemed like such a joyful person. His demise is really a bummer. But with all that said, let's get you some recommendations worthy of Oscar Wilde. 
First off, for research on this, I was very excited to pull out two of my college textbooks. I knew that I would use my Norton again one day. That's a shout out for all you English majors. I also used Bartlett's Familiar Quotations, which my dad gave me in 2002, back before I really had access to the internet, and that was how I first got acquainted with Mr. Wilde. I used to spend my time reading his quotes. That was a Christmas present and probably the best one I ever got, so that tells you what kind of nerd I am. Okay, back to the recommendations. There are two podcasts you should listen to. One is just called Historical Figures, and they do a deep dive on his life. It's an hour long, so they go into more detail than we had time for today. Second, there's one from BBC In Our Time, Culture, and that's what you should listen to if you want nerdy professors to argue about what kind of artist Oscar Wilde was. Very highbrow. For fiction, you're welcome in advance. There's a whole series where Oscar Wilde solves mysteries. I started with the first one, but there's one about Jack the Ripper that I really want to read. The series is by Giles Brandeth, which is the most Wildean name ever, and the first in the series is called Oscar Wilde and a Death of No Importance. Listeners, I loved it. It's really fun and witty, and you do get a fair amount of his life in it. Regular listeners of Storical will appreciate this next bit. Who shows up as a character? None other than raging spiritualist Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. We just can't seem to shake him, can we? In terms of films, there are quite a few based on his work from Dorian Gray to An Ideal Husband, but I focused on ones about him. First off, I didn't get a chance to watch this because I couldn't find it, but there is a film from the 90s where Stephen Fry is Oscar Wilde and Jude Law is Bosey, and I just don't think anything could ever be more perfectly cast than that. I love both Stephen Fry and Jude Law, so I'm going to try to find it. But the one that I was able to find is more recent from 2018. Rupert Everett wrote, directed, and starred in The Happy Prince, which strictly focuses on Oscar Wilde's last years after prison. It's really good. Really uncomfortable at parts, and Rupert just absolutely embodies him. He's also played Oscar in theater productions, and he was in An Ideal Husband back in the day as well. So clearly it speaks to him. That's all I have for you this week on Oscar Wilde. If you enjoyed this, or if you want to just let me know suggestions you have for future episodes, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts as it helps others find the show. Tune in next week for the tale of an Irish-American woman named Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood.